554, the Book of Hope, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, Sunday, November 22, 1970. The text, Romans 15:4. For whatsoever things were written in former days were written for our instruction, that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Romans, the 15th chapter, beginning to read at the first verse. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each one of us please his neighbor for his good, to edify him. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach thee fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Christ Jesus. You have just heard a reading from what some people call the Word of God. Other people call it the Scriptures. It's probably common name is the Bible. But today on this Universal Bible Sunday, I would like you to think of it as being the Book of Hope. The Book of Hope. For this book was certainly given to us out of hope. It was born of hope. And the reason that we have this particular book or why you have a Bible at home, comes from the fact of many, many hundreds of years of hope. You know, there's much that we know in Bible scholarship, but there's not that much that we know. We know that this book, the Bible, took more than a thousand years to compile. And we know that it probably comprises the work of more than 100 authors. But that's about all that we know as to dates, specific dates, places, specific authors. There's really not too much that we can know for 100% accuracy. I know you quote it, and I like to quote it too, that all Scripture, just not part of it or some of it, that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for doctrine, for correction, and for instruction in the faith. But we really don't know, do we, exactly how God inspired people, men and women, in differing circumstances, with different temperaments, 
how he got them to sit down and to put their thoughts of God into writing. Now, there are some people who think that what God did was set up a communication system between himself and specific people. And he asked these certain people to be stenographers. And then he put them under a spell, erased the thinking process of their minds, guided their hands as they wrote upon writing material, and then syllable by syllable, word by word, sentence by sentence, dictated every word that appears in this holy writ. Maybe that's what you think. I don't. I don't think God wrote this book that way. I don't think God inspired people that way. Instead, I think, well, God inspired people was to give them a little glimmer of hope. God placed in the minds of specific people who lived in those days the hope that what they were doing, what they were seeing, what they were feeling was important enough to write down so that people like you and me who would live generations and decades and eons later would be able to learn from their particular experience. These people, wherever they were in the world, I think were given by God some impulse which enabled them to believe that God was counting upon them to teach you and me. Amos, when he wrote that little stirring track, which today is a piece of social justice, he didn't know he was writing for a book which one day would be called the Bible. That sinner David, when he put down in writing, or had his secretary put down in writing, the beauty of a song. He did not do it with the idea of submitting it to an editorial council that was looking for material for a new book. These people didn't know how. Believe me, they didn't know how. Just like you and I don't always know how God works, but they had a hope. They had a hope that God could use their hopes, their dreams, their successes, their sins, their disappointments, their weaknesses, their strengths, their recorded ideas that God somehow could use them. And just as the God who inspired their minds to have hope, they believed that that same God eventually, somehow, would inspire you and me, people who are living in the 20th century, to be able to grow from their particular experience. They had hope. And as Paul says that these things were written in former days for our instruction. They didn't know then exactly how we would use them, but they believed in the hope that they could be used by us to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path so that we would not have to stumble and make the same mistakes that they made so that we might have an advantage which they did not have so that we might have a road map 
upon the travels of life which they pilgrimaged. This book, you see, was born out of hope. Look at the lives of men like the name of John Wycliffe, William Tyndall. These are men who, who believed in the hope that they could take the original written pages of the Bible, which in the Old Testament are in the Hebrew tongue, and in the New Testament the Greek tongue, and could translate them into the mother tongue of the Englishman. 600 years ago, that's, that's when it all happened, when this Bible was put into the language that we speak and which we can understand. But Wycliffe and Tyndall, these were hunted men. These were men who were in self-disposed exile. These were men, yes, in the case of Wycliffe, his body after he had died was even dug up and burned because they hated this man so much for what he did. But this man had a hope. He had a hope that the word of God that had been written in former days could be used for our instruction. But it had to be written, translated into the English language. And because of that hope, he died. The same with Tyndall. The men who died so that today, this day of November in 1970, I can stand behind this book and preach it to you as the Word of God. This book is the book of hope. It was born out of hope. You and I have it here today because of people of hope. And this book bears testimony to the one who is the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the book of hope. It bears testimony to the only one that God says can solve the problems of the world today. The only hope of the world. I'm sure many of you have seen in Washington, D.C., as I have seen, that rare and unique copy of the Constitution of the United States of America. As I recall, it, it's under glass, and when you examine it very, very closely, all you see are irregular lines and peculiar lettering. But then when you step back and observe it in its proper perspective, you are amazed to see the outline of the face of George Washington staring right at you. The lines are so spaced and the letters so shaded that one gets a good glimpse of a rather good picture of the father of our country. Well, this is the way it is with the Bible, you see. When you get into this particular word and begin to study it, you cannot help but see Jesus Christ. Oh, granted, just like that picture of the Constitution. If you look at it very carefully and scrutinize it closely, you'll see some words that you don't understand. You'll find some names that you can't even pronounce. When you look at the in 
eternal parts separately. Yes, you'll find some sentences that don't make sense, and you'll get some concepts that just don't quite add up to our concept of justice and righteousness. But when you stand back and you see this book in its proper perspective, it points to one person, Jesus Christ. One of the troubles we've been having in our Bethel class, where so much is being done in this church today, is in trying to look at the Old Testament through the eyes and the minds of a Jew, is trying to get that authentic word without any knowledge of Jesus Christ. But some of us in the class keep seeing problems with the Old Testament, and the reason being is that we are preconditioned by the New Testament we know Jesus Christ, and those Jews did not. And it's very difficult for us to understand them because, you see, we cannot see the Scriptures without Jesus Christ. They had no Christ in their time. But we have. And because of this, when we look at the Scriptures, we can see no one. But the one in whom all Scripture is fulfilled, the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. You see, God sent Jesus Christ because he felt that is the only one who can save this world. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus is the best that we have of God. He is the best representation, likeness, of the Father in heaven. And the Bible is the best representation that we have of Jesus Christ. And if we did not have these Bibles, we probably would not know about the Christ. But we have them. And the reason that this book was born out of hope was so that people, you and me, people living in generations yet to come, can know of the one who is the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. That's why we call it the Book of Hope. Born of hope, it bears witness to the hope of the world. And I like to call it the Book of the Book of Hope because, as I have said on many other occasions, I repeat it again today on this Universal Bible Sunday. In my mind, this book is our only hope. Our only hope. That sounds rather pessimistic, I know, but I just can't think of any other way that God can do it. All of us, I'm sure, within the sound of the preacher's voice are hoping for a better world. After you review the news of this past week with what has happened in West Pakistan, with what seemingly seems to be happening over in North Vietnam today, even though we can't seem to get the accurate, true report, with what is happening in our nation, with what is happening in some of your lives, I know that all of us are hoping that things will be better. Well, this book, you see, is not only our hope, but it's the hope of our hope. 
the hope of our hope, where we can find, as Paul tells us, that steadfastness and that endurance to be the hope of the world. But in what do you place your hope? I know some people who are placing their hope for a better world in the hope that comes with money, education. Some are putting hope in drugs. Some are putting it in liberation movements, protests. Some are putting it in the government. I put it in this book. One year ago today, I stood before you and told you about a hope that I had concerning what could be done about this book of books. At that particular time in my life, I had been preaching sermons for 12 years on hoping that people would get into the Word of God. I conjoled, I debated, I embarrassed, I tried to make fun, I did everything that I felt I could within my power to provoke people to get into the Word of God. And in those 12 years, you know, I don't know of one individual in this church or the church that I formerly served who left and went home to dig in his Bible. I must admit, some of the most disappointing sermons to me have been sermons that I've tried to preach on the importance of Bible reading. Because people would hear, oh, you always like those stories that we used to used to point out the ignorance that all of us have with the Bible. But I never felt that it ever helped in preaching sermons to get people to get into the Word of God. As many of you know, and those of you who are new in our family will soon be hearing, about a year and a half ago I was introduced to the Bethel series. It was tough to talk it into the leadership of this church to undertake. But through the persistence of some men on your session, it was decided that we would try. I was sent to Madison, Wisconsin. And by the way, Mr. Bruder has been in Madison, Wisconsin, and through the course as well. And we came back. One year ago today, I made confession that I had found something that I had been looking for in over 12 years of ministry for a way in which people could get into the Word of God. We were opening then for people who were interested in becoming serious students of the Word of God. In January, with 19 adults, we went to work. One year ago, later, today, I stand before you and want you to know that last Wednesday night was the 29th session 
that these people met with your pastor two and a half hours each Wednesday night, and they took their final examination in Old Testament. I wish all of you could have seen this group of very nervous people, very earnest people, as for two and one half hours downstairs here in the colonial room, they wrote and wrote and wrote in answer to the question of revealing the narrative of the Old Testament. I take my hat off to these 19 people. You know why? They have given me hope. For 12 years I tried to get people into the Word of God and for the first time I have seen evidences in a program of people who are not just willing to listen but are willing to work and to get into the Word of God. And I have hope. And as I stand here today I am predicting that one year from today the Lord willing, 200 people of this congregation are going to be involved in the study of the Bible. It is my hope and my dream that by 1973, 400 people will be involved in that study here in this church. Can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, what 400 people driving maybe 200 cars will do to this community when those cars are parked on a Wednesday night out in that parking lot? I'll tell you what will happen in this day of chaos. We'll find people that will find new hope. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, and that is the ecclesiastical way of saying we are coming into the season of hope. That season which climaxes itself on Christmas Eve, when we are able to sing in the carol, all the dreams and hopes come true in thee, who is born this night. This book is not only born out of hope and bears witness to the hope, it brings hope to you and to me. I know probably there will be no one who will run home from this service and get his Bible and brush its dust from the covers and start to read. I don't expect that anymore. That's only wishful, hopeless thinking on the part of any preacher. People get into the Word of God only when they're willing to work, only when they're willing to study, only when they're willing to dig, only when they're willing to make sacrifice. And what sacrifice those 19, yes, all 20 of us have made since January. But there have been changes in all of our lives. We're not the same people we were last January or last Universal Bible Day Sunday. And thank God for it. We are people who have a hope. A hope that was not born in the figment of our imagination. A hope that was not born just in a program of a church. But a hope that I believe has come from the Lord through his word. And I'm only hoping and praying that I'll be here a year from now to be able to see that hope come true in the lives of 
many of you. God has blessed us greatly through the past 100 years, ladies and gentlemen. God is blessing us greatly today. You are a part of a church that has hope. The President of our United States has asked us this Thursday to come to our house of worship and to give thanks. Every man, woman, and child who claims to be a Christian and an American will be a church on Thursday. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we're thankful for words. We're thankful for the Word made flesh in Jesus Christ. And we're very thankful that the Word which Thou hast given to us, transformed into lives, becomes our hope for the world of tomorrow. And now may the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.